everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fiking Media Network. Happy Sunday morning to you all as we're back here recapping the 2022 edition of Extreme Rules going down live from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The one out of the year when WWE goes extreme and unlike last year, all of the matches did in fact go extreme. I'm Keela Cash and by my side as always is my right hand man and my co-captain, the wise man and some and sometimes advocate for the rapidly improving Von Wagner who did advance the ladder match for the North American Championship at Halloween Havoc, the training and the advocacy paid off for one, maybe on this feed or not, am I getting salty or perky Scott Young with me this evening? Well, Keela, I can absolutely tell you, you are getting perky, Scott, after what I thought was a really good show. And as always, it's a pleasure to chop it up and talk all things WWE with you. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this show. You, you, you leave a, a good taste in my mouth and I get real perky and it's not even 2.0 horny hours. Now, at certain points during this show, things got horny by accident which we'll get mm-hmm. to shortly. And that was some refereeing and microphoning things, which we'll get to. But overall, I thought this was also a very good show. There were a couple of things I didn't like about Extreme Rules, but on the whole, this show delivered in terms of action, in terms of steps, a hot crowd mostly. And I actually love the opening video package of the spelling bee of the little boy spelling extreme and going back in time to see all of the extreme things in WWE history and the face of extreme Paul Heyman leading the charge. Yeah, it was a really good video package. Paul Heyman, excellent voiceover, uh, really good way to kind of get you excited for what was to come. Um, and again, I think WWE over-delivered because I was expecting a good show and I came away over-satisfied. Me too, and that's always a good thing as a WWE fan, making sure you're overfed in the best possible way. But I know that you had to skim through some parts of the show, but you know I cannot let you go without mentioning the pain, your guy, your fave, the Miz went through, courtesy of Gritty, who earned two checks in the last three weeks. He earned an Abbott Elementary check and a WWE check all in the same month. So a couple things. Um, first off, you could have left that out. <laughs> you absolutely could have just not mentioned that. So that that's a thing. Um, secondly, shout out to Abbott Elementary, best show on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight me if you want, but uh, absolutely best show on TV. And again, I just want to double down. You absolutely could have not mentioned it, not brought it up because I intentionally skipped it. But, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. You know, I couldn't resist Miz getting choked <laughs> out by Dexter Loomis getting kicked by Gritty and Dexter and Gritty walking away together side by side. How could I pass up an opportunity to dunk on you on a Sunday morning? How could I not really? No, I mean, I, I absolutely get it. Who... Of course you would enjoy the Miz getting kicked while he was down. And I will admit, <laughs> the, the image of, of, of Loomis and Gritty walking together, that, that was a sight to see. All we needed was a yellow brick road, and it would have been perfect to see the Wizard of Oz somewhere out there in Philly. Just saying. Perfect ending to a great night, not for the Miz, but great for me and not for you, which makes my night even better. But Let's kick things off, shall we, with an old-fashioned Donnie Brook match involving the Brawling Brutes. And, you know, Michael Cole has done this the last few weeks on SmackDown, calling Imperium 
the Imperium. And in honor of Paul Fontaine, our guy, just like the Migos, they rode together strongly for this match. And I thought this was a show stealer, a great way to kick off the show. And I'm still mad that Sheamus had Gunther dead to rights on Friday, had that man tapping out, but Gunther, the ring general, found a way to cheat his way to victory. But it gives me hope, slight hope, that WWE might perhaps maybe at some point very soon give Sheamus the Grand Slam victory by becoming the new Intercontinental Champion. The foundation has been laid via this matchup, which was absolutely great from start to finish. This was a great way to start the show. Um, you know, match placement on this entire card was a little funny. You know, you have the the women's championship on the second match of the card, but you know that's that's okay. How does that? How you put Ronda on the second match of the card? But that's a whole other story. A great great match to start off. Um, the Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes are over. People care about them. If you'd have told me six months ago that Ridge Holland would be in arguably one of the most popular teams in WWE, I'd be like, all right, dude, what do, what are you on? Because I need that when I go on vacation, because that's some good stuff. <laughs> but uh, here we are, and Butch, you know, he's, who, who's Pete Dunne? You know what I mean? Like, we, it's, Sheamus is, is one of the most popular guys on the roster, and every time him and Gunther lock eyes, have any type of one-on-one interactions, the crowd is going crazy. The, the, the crowd is, is, is wanting it. They want to see Sheamus pin Gunther. They want to see Sheamus beat Gunther. And the way they laid this match out, when anytime Sheamus and Gunther would go at it, Sheamus would always get the better of them, and somebody would have to come in and kind of save Gunther a little bit. And that's a really good story to kind of keep going that Seamus has his number. He just doesn't have the numbers. He hasn't had that numbers advantage. He hasn't had that opportunity, that just that one-on-one opportunity. But it, the match was, was crazy from the jump. I mean, wild brawl as soon as it starts. People are flipping off of the, the beer barrels. Uh, Corey Graves said he had a bag of peanuts thrown at him or a barrel of peanuts or something thrown at him. Um, it, I mean, this this was just... A, a wild brawl, just way too much to even try to recap. We we get to the middle of the match where uh, uh, Sheamus is is getting ready to. He's calling for the brogue, and they at this point they're all just laying into each other. They start throwing moves you haven't seen before. Sheamus throws uh, he's he throws a big power bomb. Gunther through the announce table. It is just absolute nonsense. Um, Sheamus gets a big win over Giovanni, which he needed. And Keela, you called it on our show, I think last week, you said that Gunther would win the, can retain the title and Sheamus would get the victory the next night. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, yeah, really good way to start the show and a, a nice bounce back win for Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes. It was really great. I love this match so much. And I called it because I didn't see Gunther losing on Friday. 
in hindsight, it could have happened because the fans were pissed when he tapped out when he really didn't. He was very sneaky with that um, submission attempt by Sheamus. But the body of this match was so good. And the disrespect to Sheamus's great-great-grandfather's photo. They keep knocking it over. They flipped over the bar table. Sheamus is down and out. And he goes, I think Butch goes through the barricade. And it crashes and breaks for a moment. And then Sheamus rises from the bar table. And he whoops ass on Gunther for a bit. All of this was so strong. I love the triple team by Rich Holland, Sheamus, and Butch to Gunther at one point. Great heat by the baby faces in that situation. And I got to point out Rich Holland because recently he's grown on me and I, he's been on my list for a while. But I will say that recently in his matches, he has a showcase spot of strength in that he just picks up dudes at the same time drops them with the greatest of ease and he gets a pop that's how you showcase what rich holland is good at strength spots and not doing too much and this crew is finally clicking it's magical when someone leaves wwe after 40 something years a new guy gets in charge and he changes the dynamic of the brawling brutes from caricatures of badasses to actual badasses that can get over imperium being imperium on the main roster is a blessing to have giovanni and ludwig and gunther back together is fantastic they did great work in this match ludwig flipping butch and inside out Corey Graves couldn't even know what was happening in that moment and then we have Giovanni flying into Witch Holland with that crossbody off the top rope we have Shillelagh hits courtesy of Gunther to Sheamus the near fall that popped the crowd because we thought it was over but then Sheamus comes through with a Shillelagh shot on Giovanni to pick up the win via that bro kick just a really strong matchup, which gives me hope that we will get a trilogy to Gunther versus Sheamus part three for the title, the IC title between Crown Jewel or Survivor Series. But I think it might be time for Sheamus to get the Grand Slam, to get the one title that has eluded him his entire career. And the timing is perfect. And I want to also address this question to you, Scott, because somebody mentioned something on Twitter about Sheamus's greatest opponents. And there have been plenty in his tenure in WWE. But John Alba, who I really respect a lot, noted that Gunther could go down as Sheamus's greatest opponent. Do you agree with that? Ah, oh, man. What's so tough about that is you and I just did a, a review of Extreme Rules 2012. And what I think is arguably Sheamus's probably, I think, his second greatest match ever against Daniel Bryan. I mean, they had really good chemistry oh man the two matches they've had I think are better than any two matches that Sheamus has had with any other opponent so as far as singles matches so as of right now I I could absolutely see that but if we're if we're talking a little more quantity and and, you know going off of more than just two matches you know I, I think I think a guy like um Daniel Bryan is really hard to beat. That two out of three falls match is really strong. And then they had some other better matches down the road. They had a match on Raw when Daniel Bryan was on the rise. When he was beating guys on Raw, he had just beat uh, Randy Orton on Raw. Then he beat Sheamus with a roll-up. That was a really, really good match because you didn't know if Daniel Bryan was going to win. So they have really good chemistry too. Um, Another guy that people may not think about that Sheamus has really good chemistry with him and Alberto Del Rio had some really good matches as well for the World Heavyweight Championship. Him and the Big Show have some really good matches. So it's it's tough. I, I can't say he's wrong, but 
I would really have to go back and look because Alberto and Big Show kind of stand out to me because I know their physicality and they just hit so hard the same way him and Gunther do. So I, I can't say he's wrong, but I would have to go back and take a look. I have a tie. I cannot choose because it's difficult when you really think about it because these bangers that Seamus has had in the last four or five years has been insane. And you couple that with what he did with, Dan- with Brian Danielson 10 years ago at Extreme Rules and Air Matches on TV as well. I will say that Gunther, considering their series so far, it might be Sheamus's greatest series of matches ever. Close second, and I know nobody was there almost two years ago, but anytime he works as you McIntyre, is just mm. special. They brutalize each other. You see the welts. You see the bruises. They leave nothing in the ring or the ringside area, wherever they're fighting at. They just deliver. So those two guys, I just feel like Sheamus can just have a brawl with them and just deliver five stars automatically no matter what. So that's why I'm torn at because they equally bring it with Sheamus every time they have a match against each other. No, I, I think the Seamus one is a really good call. And I mean, when you when you think about the story they had, there were people who were saying that Seamus and Drew McIntyre should have had a WrestleMania match instead of the blow off on SmackDown. So I think that's a really good call. Yes, and they had a Donnie Brook too two months ago, which was great as well. And I just think that Gunther and Drew McIntyre alongside Daniel Bryan, that trilogy, that holy trinity of dudes, everything. And Cesaro, too, honorable mention as well. So... A lot of great opponents for Sheamus over the years, but that is definitely a tough question because the quality of matches have been insane as of late. As we move on to the SmackDown Women's Championship, second on the card, as Scott mentioned, is Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey in an Extreme Rules match. And this was slightly better than what we got at SummerSlam, but there is still a chemistry issue that I don't care for very much between these two. I don't know what it is. There were moments of things being good. Ronda was laying in her shit. Liv Morgan, those chair shots, not so much. The bat, the great equalizer was not an equalizer for Liv because every time she tried to use it, Ronda used it against her and she got her ass beat. So that was a fail. And we had the nice high spot with the set time through the table, but the finish was the finish. It was definitely something. I don't know what it's going to lead to, but it was definitely a curious way to end the match. So I enjoyed this match. Let me tell you, because I, I, this was a car wreck. <laughs> I, when Liv came off the steps and Ronda hit her with the bat, and that welt came on her stomach, I was like, oh, they about to have some fun. Because let me tell you, they were throwing shots to the point where like, they would throw the shot and the person who got hit would look back at them like, yo, are you serious? And then they would start selling. There was Liv kicked Rhonda in the back, and Rhonda looked back at her like, okay. And then she turned back and started selling. I was like, yeah, this is this is what I'm talking about. Cause you're right. They Rhonda was she just started like just just patting her around with the bat. And I'm like, what is what is going on here? She's just patting her with the baseball bat. And and then you're right. She's she's just toying with Liv. I will say this. They've done a better job of presenting Liv as a formidable champion now challenger tonight in the last three weeks than they did for the majority of her entire reign. The crowd is still with her, and that's that's a testament to her just having something special about her. And, you know, she 
she's not the greatest in the ring, but I've always said that that's kind of, I know it sounds crazy, but that's kind of her charm is that she's not as fluid and technical as everybody else, but she's just, she's got something where you want to root for and you want to see her succeed. Even though I wanted Ronda to win, there was still points where I was like, okay, Liv, okay, Liv. And that's, again, that's just the testament to her. And some people just have that. Um, the match was, and again, the match was just a car wreck. It's just them just doing crazy spots. And it's really kind of like they're doing moves with bats in their hand. And I'm like, I don't know if y'all should be doing that. Like, who's approving y'all to be using baseball bats in the match? Like, I, I you know, so the match was fine. It, I, it was enjoyable for me because I had no idea what was going to happen. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fine match. Ronda, so let me let me get this straight about the finish. She put her in the choke, and then like she, you know, Liv is trying to act like she's happy. She's getting choked out, you know, trying to do that whatever that is. But was Ronda trying to like impale her and like like with the, with the table too against while like her neck was on her foot? Like what was going on with that? Was she trying to in, like cut the neck off? What was going on with that? It was something. Was she trying to be Ronda the Impaler? I don't know what that was. She was trying to kill her, perhaps. Because Matt Riddle did say he was going to try to kill Seth Rollins during that match. And Ronda says, hey, I'm an actual killer. It's what I do. It's what I'm good at. So let me do my thing. That was very curious to have that as leverage to ensure victory by decapitation if need be. But Liv went to sleep and she smiled and then she woke up and laughed. I don't know what this means. I don't know if we're going to get a darker version of Liv Morgan because she was elated to get choked out. She didn't tap out. That was a victory for her. And we'll see this character development on SmackDown, which I think is needed to get Liv to that next level. She's been the happy-go-lucky watch-me-baby-face for a long time. She's been through the struggle of getting to a championship. She's done it. She's lost it. So what do you do when you lose your championship to Ronda Rousey? You smile about it. You laugh about it. But then what? What character, what character switch can we expect that's going to even up what she can do in the ring? That's my thing right now, the after effects of her no, no, of her no longer being champion, because I think it gives Triple H an opening to say, you know what, under my administration, we're going to go in a different direction with you to see what you can really do when your back is against a wall. Well, my thing is, why should I care what she thinks about the title if she's smiling and, and- you know, and, and laughing that she, she just lost. She just lost. It's not like this was just a random tag match or something like that on, on SmackDown that she lost and she's still a champion. She lost the title and, and she's not upset. She's happy because she got choked out by Ronda because she pushed Ronda because she made Ronda do this. What? Like, what is the story? Why should you? I just talked about how good of a job they did of building her up and making her formidable, but now you're not doing the work on you on their end with the character. Why should I care about her character or just just her in general when she doesn't care about the title she just lost? That was my biggest takeaway at the end of the match. Like, why are you smiling and why aren't you upset? Like, when you come to, you can smile when you pass out, but when you come to, you should be like, yo, I, don't, I, I lost. What's, what, what's going on? I'm coming for you or something. You just, you happy. You sitting there happy. Why, why do I care? I don't care. I won't care Friday if I don't get an answer as to why she was so fucking happy. That's my only thing. I need to follow up to this because it was very John Cena-esque of, you know what? I lost, but I'm still here. I'm happy. I got paid. 
I have my fans. It's all good. I need like a reason as to why she smiled and laughed. Now there is a backstage interview of her being a little broody. Put that on TV. I would like to see aftermath of losses on TV when it comes to a championship. I don't want to see it on YouTube, but I'll give it until Friday to see exactly why that was a character choice she made and why WWE opted to go in that direction. I'm going to give it a four to five day grace period. We'll be back here next weekend. We'll talk about it. And I might join your camp of what the hell was that? They about to make me salty Scott on here. Uh Oh, and we thought we was going to keep him at bay tonight. Well, here's a good question. Here's a good question for you. Did that bat still make you feel things? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it did. (laughs) Until she decided to put it down to begin the match. (laughs) What? Again, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you just have that? Why wouldn't you just keep that in your hand the entire time? Let's, we got to move on. We have to move on. I would be so, I'm, I'm getting so, I don't even, so we got to rank the first match. I'm giving it, I'm giving it, I love the first match. I'm giving it four and a half tiers. I was at like three tiers with this match because it's such a car wreck, but I'm like talking myself down. I'm at two tiers right now. <laughs> so we got to move on or I'm going to see this go down to like one tier. Cause I just thought about that. She didn't have the bat when the match began. Okay. All right. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. no. Cause I have to push this one more time. Cause I'm trying to see if I can reduce this to one, to one tier. <laughs> trying to work some magic here in real time. Okay. So last question regarding the bat. So when you uh-huh. want her to hold the bat, would that be to her benefit or yours? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. I, <laughs> both? Like, can it, can it be both? Can, can, can the answer be, is there a C? No, there's not a C. There's <laughs> not. Well, for, uh, for Dago, sure, her benefit, the way she was scurrying after it after she didn't have it. So... <laughs> You know, you you were all panicking because you want to get. She was smiling the whole match. <laughs> now that I th- I'm I'm down to one and a half. Yes. So yes. <laughs> I'm down to one and I've a done half. It. I've done it. That's why I wanted to push this issue because three tears too generous. Okay. I try to tell you. No, you're right. That's way too generous. And you call you said it before, off air. You know, I was like, oh man, I really enjoyed the show. Blah blah blah. And you were like, there's four good matches. It's, it's four good matches. I'm like, no, it's all good. They're all good. There's one down. See, as we workshop in real time on this show, your perspective changes <laughs> drastically. And I try to tell you, like, really, oh. all six were good? Really? Mm. I don't believe you. And sure enough, I was right. One down, one to go. <sighs> And it happens. Well, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the other one. I'm already with you on the other one. <laughs> and it happens to be the next match. <laughs> it's Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross in a strap match. And I had a um, sermon on our show last weekend, our preview. And I said this. I said this is going to be a test for Karrion Cross because I have tried to show grace during his initial run on NXT. I don't blame him. But when Adam Cole ethered that man to the point of no return, he was done for on that brand. Then he got called up to the main roster in the summer of 2021, lost his first match to Jeff Hardy. 
Then they gave him a gladiator, a gladiator mask and it went all downhill. He was released almost a year ago, comes back a couple of months ago under the Triple H administration with, with Scarlett by his side. And I thought to myself, okay, they got you set up for Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre is a main event player. He will bring out the best in you no matter what. He did it for Madcap. Hell, he did it for Happy Corbin earlier this year too. So I know what Drew McIntyre can do for anybody to make you look good. He will give it his all. Well, let me tell you this. This strap match did not give me anything. All I cared about was Scarlett at ringside because like Adam Cole says, you got the girl and she's the highlight. She was the highlight of this match, causing trouble on Karen Cross's behalf. She looked amazing. Drew McIntyre sold and sold and sold and sold as he got beat up with a strap by Karrion Cross. The highlight of this match was Cross and McIntyre just hitting each other with the strap in the face. That was the highlight. That was the heated spot of this matchup. Then Scarlett gets in the ring to save her guy from a Claymore. And she just sprays an unholy amount of pepper spray in Drew McIntyre's face, like a lot. Like that was more than when Marie sprayed Dolph with her perfume about five or six years ago during No Mercy. Then poor McIntyre gets the forearm shot to the back, courtesy of Karrion Cross, to lose this match, one, two, three. These two guys lacked chemistry. I did not really care for this match. Scarlett was the star. And I'm gonna tell everybody that's married with spouses in this feud right now, keep Scarlett and Drew away from each other. The end. You know, you talk about Cross not having chemistry with Drew. I don't, I haven't seen him have really that great a chemistry with anybody in WWE. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I'm not a real big Cross guy, so he doesn't, do a lot for me. I think he has a much better look. I think the hair, having the hair is a much better look for him. And yeah, Scarlett is definitely the star. There's all eyes on her. Let's, let's just, it is what it is. He's just the muscle behind. If she was a wrestler, mm-hmm. like if she, I don't know if she's really good, but if, if she is, if she was a wrestler and had him behind her, she would, you could put her on the headline of any show. Like legit. Cause people would be like, who the heck is that? And if she can go, <laughs> what so i don't know if she can go or not but that should be how it that should be what it looks like but we are where we are i feel sorry for drew that he's got a you know he's trying to create this new monster um but it's just it's not for me that i didn't think the match was very good um i when we when we started talking about it i completely forgot the match had even happened so there's that you get this gets it gets two two tears for me because I, you know, the, the lot of pepper spray that was different. I guess I don't really remember that much pepper spray being sprayed, and I don't know. It was, it was wait, actually, I'm gonna give it one and a half too. One and a half star. One and a half uh, salty tears. I agree. This match was not very good, and I do question Karen Cross's longevity on the main roster. If he's going to deliver matches like this. You got Drew McIntyre, a guy that's going to bring it out of you, but nothing was really produced in terms of magic outside of them slapping each other with the strap. That was about it. Scarlet, 
as we keep saying, is the highlight in the star. And I did see some Sable comparisons on the timeline last night. I can definitely see that. And Scott's trying to mark Miro carrying a cross because <laughs> Sable definitely became the star in that marriage and on TV. And Scarlett can definitely fit that role. If she knows how to work, my God, because the camera loves her and she just has a love of charisma that very few have in that managerial role that can bring something every single time. And she did that last night. I was drawn to her the entire time, more so than Karrion Cross. And apparently Drew was drawn to her too, more so than this match. And you know, the thing is, I think Karrion Cross could be a great, I mean, a great heavy to have in a faction. Like I, I think, <clears throat> and, and these, and these, as from what I've seen so far, I think that's where he could be utilized to his fullest is her running some type of faction. And instead of him being him being the centerpiece and being the the guy, the monster, he should be the muscle that you have to get through to get to the guy. He sh- he should be like what Wardlow was to MJF. I, I think I can't think of a better comparison, but that's what he should be. Like whoever. I think he like put him with some a young heel that you want to kind of build up and have him as the muscle that he can, you can have with Scarlett or something because I just don't see it with him as a singles being the centerpiece. I, I just I don't see what you do with him. Yeah, hell, I'll take him in Judgment Day at this point. He'll be a good That's fit. That's not that bad. That'd be a good fit. Can you imagine Rhea and Scarlett together corrupting Dominic? <laughs> nah, nah, I, nah. I, that's that's a lot. That's too going much on, for him. <laughs> that's too much for him. That's too much for TV. Them two on t- them two, like ah uh, man, I I'm trying to join the Judgment Day. If you got both of them in the group, are you serious? <laughs> I'm trying to join the Judgment Day. Can I get an extra membership too for myself? I mean, ch- ch- cheddar biscuits for days. Listen, so, ch- you talk about them two and the what? Sign me up. What you need me to do? You need me to hit somebody with a chip? Man, <laughs> I'm in there. For you two, you got it. The recruitment process, hit someone with a chair. Sure, done. <sighs> no problem. After party at Red Lobster, cheddar biscuits are flowing for everybody. Um, Dominic would be at the kids' table. This is grown folk situation here. Nah, man, you can't do Dom like that. What? You can't do Let, Dom listen, like that, listen. man. Listen, our table is going to be lit. We got Scarlett, Rhea, Finn, Damian, Ludwig. We got Julius over there. We got Sammy over there cracking jokes. We got the whole lineup over here. Matt Cap in the corner. There's no room for Dominic. I'm sorry. If Corny Cap is in the corner, we could definitely have Dominic here. Come on, man. Did you call him Corny Cap? Yeah, I called him Corny Cap. I think Matt Cap's great. But if we can have Corny Cap over here, <laughs> Dominic can definitely come and, and, and chill with us. Uh, Rhea is not coming if Dominic not coming. Shit. Okay, so he can pull like, like a chair. By, oh like, but like, you know, by the corner booth, just have a chair right. by the bathroom. By the bathroom. <laughs> by the bathroom. I'm just saying. That's just too much swag at our table for Dominic to be sitting there, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying this conversation was better than that match by the way much more better than what we just saw recently here and he wanted and my co-host wanted to say this is a great card up and down I stand by what I said four out of six four out of six 
Four out of six is is absolutely. We've I I've given out three star three tiers for the last two matches combined. <laughs> so there's that. And this concludes the low light aspect of the show because now things turn around for the better mm-hmm. with a great ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. It was Bianca Belair versus Bailey, and once again. Bailey and Bianca saved the show in the nick of time. Bianca's gear last night was absolutely phenomenal. Bailey, great as always in the ring. Their chemistry has not missed a beat since last year. And this match woke up Philly. It woke me up. And I think that it brought back the happy tears for Scott at the exact same time. I'm going to say something that may be controversial, may be a hot take. I may be living in the moment a little bit. I think Bianca Belair is the best baby face in wrestling. Like I, I, I am enamored and just in awe of Bianca Belair. Every time she goes out there, no matter what setting, what environment you put her in, she excels. Like she, she's in a ladder match. She does her thing. She pulls out the big spots, even spots that she doesn't quite get are still impressive looking she she pulled off a double kod on dakota and eo and didn't quite get it but was still able to lift them both and slam them just i i am i am just in awe of her and how impressive she is and like she's somebody i genuinely get up and start cheering for when she does these crazy spots and when she's climbing the ladder and when she started whipping Bailey and she hit the KOD with the ladder. Like I, she's incredible. Like she is genuinely incredible and I could gush about her all day. And I, I genuinely believe that she is even if if she's not the best baby face in wrestling, she's absolutely in the conversations because the people are with her. She's getting this monster push and the people are with her every step of the way. And she is absolutely justifying every ounce of this with every match, every big moment and opportunity she's been given. She has knocked it out the park. This is the, this is the first one-on-one women's ladder match and she knocked it out the park i i i just i the match was excellent fantastic um four and a half tears for me i i love this match great drama bianca overcoming the odds it looked like bailey was going to win a couple times and shout out to Bailey. I, I can't, it takes two to tango. And for this to be that great of a match, Bailey absolutely did her thing. Um, she is as good as advertised. The crowd loved her. Whenever she decides she wants to go back babyface, the crowd is absolutely going to embrace her. But I, I just can't talk enough about Bianca, man. I, I think she is everything that you want in a professional wrestler. She's incredible. She's sensational. In every way. This match was great. The layout, the psychology made total sense. The struggle to get up that ladder was real. The bumps they took were incredible. The elbow drop that Bailey delivered to Bianca on that ladder was great. Mm. The spot of her ramming Bianca into the ladder and then at one point Bianca scaling the ladder to get to the ladder in the ring to climb to get to the belt was fantastic. A great shout out to Bailey in that she went to the Sasha Banks school of how to heal on a crowd. And she was talking shit to the little girl saying, you booing me? 
I'm gonna give you something to boo about. Taking signs, ripping them apart. She played into being a pitch perfect heel in this match to get the appropriate amount of heat. Now, crazily enough, the crowd was split a little bit. They said, let's go Bianca, let's go Bailey. That was a crowd that cared about both ladies. But when it was time to put up a shut up, when Bianca landed that KOD, Mm. while Bailey was holding a fucking ladder at the same time, and Bianca lifted them both up, hit the KOD on the ladder with Bailey, Smooth. smooth as silk. The bump Bailey took eclipsed what she did last year at Hell in a Cell. Just a creative callback and a way to do it in a more innovative way. Bianca gets on that ladder. The fans, like at WrestleMania, are on their feet as she climbs the ladder to grab that championship belt to retain her championship. That was a chef's kiss finish. That's how you tell a story from beginning to end. You had the outside interference, of course, but she took them out. I laughed, at, I laughed at Dakota Kai selling death on that floor for five good minutes. The girl did not move. She was dead at ringside, as she should be, because that meant no more outside interference for this matchup. I just loved how it all came together. The teases of Bailey possibly winning was everything as well. Not too many high spots, not too many crazy moments. But that KOD, though, holy shit, that was incredible. No, I, I, yeah, it's, that's what I mean. Like, she she does these things and she's just you're just impressed you're more you we've seen her lift up dewdrop multiple times and walk around with her we've seen her lift up otis and walk around with them and she's still doing these feats and you're like what can't you do like what genuinely what can't you do i i just i she is she is the epitome of women's wrestling right now. I I look forward to her knocking off Charlotte Flair eventually at WrestleMania and I this is she is she is everything for me. I I am a Bianca Belair fan for life. That will never change and I I I do love one thing that you mentioned when she got to the top of the ladder and and the crowd rose with her. That's what I mean, how the crowd is always with her. The crowd, no matter what, because you, you mentioned that you brought up a good point. They, the crowd was absolutely split. Great reaction for both ladies. But when she got to the top of the ladder and she pulled that belt down and she's flexing on the top of the ladder, the crowd is on their feet rooting for her. They are there behind her. That, that's a testament to a top-tier Babyface, I, 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 Bianca Belair, man, she is everything and as good as advertised. Yes, and uh, the Charlotte tease. Charlotte said it herself. She's looking for Bianca very soon. We need that to happen perfectly at WrestleMania. Their match last year on Monday Night Raw was exceptional. I want to say that right now, so we know they can produce on the highest level, no matter where or when. But I will say this for Bianca Belair: my final sell of her being the best, the EST of WWE. So we have our end of the year wars coming up for many various publications, including the Wrestling Reserver and Pro Wrestling Illustrated. If Bianca Belair does not win overall female wrestler in North America, if she is not mailed a plaque as being the number one women's wrestler in North America, and if that does not happen, this year we got problems. We got problems. I'm tired of one match and you bleed and gets you an award. I want the whole year 
to be accounted for. And Bianca's delivered nothing but hits. And outside of my sisters in stardom, she's the best wrestler in this country. I'm just saying. Period. On God. And, you know, I, one, one more thing. I, I just want to, because it, it should not get lost on anything. And, you know, I'm absolutely going to bring this up. I don't want to get lost. Bianca Belair is a a strong black woman that is in, on top of the division. And that is so important. Representation is so important. And I know people may be like, yo, what are you talking about? You know, wrestling is that. I don't want to hear that. It is so important to see, you know, to see her struggle and to see her rise to the top and, and, and to see her be presented not in no type of stereotypical way, but as her and just being the best, no matter who steps to her. You don't get that a lot. Like we get, we've had it. We've been very fortunate right now with Jade and Bianca to have black women on top of these divisions. This is not something that normally happens with mainstream top, like top promotions with WWE like this. So I am, I am, I don't think that should ever get lost in the conversation either of how just how cool and important that is that we have a black woman who is at the top of the division because that's just not something you're normally going to see. And we might not see it again for a while. I, I, I don't take stuff like this for granted. No, it's beautiful to see. Going to clear 200 days as champion imminently. Has had a great year in the ring on pay-per-view on TV. Nothing but hits, no misses, dating back to last year. I've seen this woman's growth from her time in NXT, the Mae Young Classic, a pre-shirt WrestleMania 34, to takeovers, to WrestleManias, to last night. Her body of work should be appreciated. And every time she's in that ring, something special happens, and we should appreciate it. And I stand by what I said. If she doesn't win every award for the end of the year, for every publication... We got problems. I don't want one match to be awarded as, well, you did that for the whole year. No, you did it for a night. Bianca did it for a year. And I'm going to leave it at that. And now, I present to you art. Because we said on this show that Finn Balor is about that life. Finn, prison bay Finn, prison poppy Finn, wasn't going to quit. Ever. And we had to put that to the test last night as Finn Balor looking like Hellraiser fought Edge in an I Quit match. I loved this match. The only thing I didn't love was the first five minutes of the referee putting the mic on Finn and Edge. Do you quit? And all we hear are moans like, sir. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, an NXT 2.0 at nine o'clock for like six months, horny hours hit. And I didn't want to go through that via this matchup for 20 minutes. So I'm glad we kind of pulled back on the horny hours of Finn and Edge moaning. Now, for me, if this was any other setting, sure, that's very interesting and erotic. But for this match, not so much. But outside of that, great match, Michael Cole. Michael fucking Cole hit Wilt Chamberlain numbers on commentary. 
during this match. He was sensational, but Scott clocked my boy because Michael (laughs) decided to throw a stray at my boy Edge for no reason. And I want Scott to go into detail before we praise Michael for being a goat on commentary, for possibly delivering a top 10 call of his career. Please share with the people, Scott, what Michael said about Edge. So, you know, as the match is getting started, as we see, you know, Finn Balor making his entrance as he stole Dominic's, uh, you know, his fun mask. Um, (laughs) We'll just leave it at that, his fun mask. Um, Michael Cole decides to say, Finn Balor never quits. But Edge does. Or at least he did 11 years ago when he was forced to retire, but he's back now. What are you doing, Michael Cole? How do you undercut your baby face like that before he even gets in the ring? You just said that he quits. So why do I need to watch the match? I know he's going to win. The quitter. I know he. I know Finn Balor doesn't quit if he's man enough to wear that mask because I know what just went on in that back room while he had that mask on. And he's still got that thing on. He either forgot or it was that good where he was like, yeah, I need, to, I need to calm myself down and get myself together. Let me give you this mask on. So a lot of questions, a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, the match was good. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. The last 20 minutes or so was pretty good. It was actually really good. The first 10 minutes, eh, it was fine. So, my mind has went to several places as to what happened (laughs) during the pre-match with that mask that you said belongs to Dominic. So, are you saying that we have a sex dungeon at the Wells Fargo Center? I'm just saying it may not be. I I think one of them has a a tour bus. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Finn has a tour bus. uh, And the wife's not there. It's a it's a pay per view night. It's Saturday night, so you know he's like, yeah, it's gonna be a late one, honey. So I would have just stay home with the kids. So you know he's out he's out tonight. He's having a good old time. So you're saying on that bus there's a bed, and that bed has <laughs> cuffs, whips, chains, a mask, and other items of use. And as I always say, Damien Priest is in the room. The watch. The watcher. <laughs> Okay, I can't unsee any of that in my head, but we're going to get back to the root of this match, which was actually... The mask. You know, stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) First of all, that was different and new, and he also forgot where he was. Like, oh, wearing my sex mask. Let me take that off so I can refocus here maybe he was using it to cool down after a, a moment on the bus <laughs> it's possible yeah new music too new music i heard it before i i don't care for it very much i know everybody that's in the judgment day have darker versions of, the, of their original theme song which is fine but this remix eh, it's okay it's all right but this match really got good once we got away from the ringside area brought in the crowd edge introduced a hockey stick and whooped finn's ass with it choked him out 
I love how he dunked Finn on the concourse. That was the highlight of this match. Then Edge takes a low spot against the railing of the stairs, and they fight back down to the ring, and this match picks up the pace from there. And we got Chad Patton, the referee, being a little bit more liberal with his check-in on do I say I quit because he was really annoying early on. Pissed me off to no end. But then things got great when Damian Priest hit the scene, and Michael Cole activated God mode when he says, oh, look, there's that idiot causing trouble. <laughs> I said, wow, Michael. Okay, so Edge spots this, tries to take out Damian Priest. Then Dominic comes out there causing trouble as well. So Edge decides, I'm going to spear Finn through the ropes on the floor while Dominic and Damian Priest are holding him up. Great spot. And Rey Mysterio tries to make the save at one point as well. And then he gets destroyed by Dominic. Dominic's now laid his hands on his father. And Michael Cole went the fuck off saying, this kid, this brat, this this punk hitting his father. That's his damn father he's hitting. Michael Cole lost his mind. He wanted to get the switch on Dominic on site. And I thought, Ray, 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 you're not going to get up one time and swing on your son? After this, now on Monday in Brooklyn, if you don't get your belt or switch to whoop your son's ass, I don't know what to say because Scott's already qualified you for worst father of the year. If you do not beat your son's ass on Monday, I'm going to give you the goddamn award and we're going to do the rap awards early because you suck as a father. Where's Titus O'Neil? Isn't he father of the year? Where's where's Titus O'Neil? And you know what? And again, this is where I was with Corey Graves because Corey Graves comes in and goes, hey, Michael, Dominic's a grown man and Ray Mysterio should have did that a long time ago. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, Corey Graves. That's what should have happened. Nah, Michael Cole. You know, everything, I said it on, I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. Everything Ray Mysterio getting right now is his fault for not parenting as a child. Instead of you beating, see, now you want to fight your son when he's twice your size. You should have been whooping his tail when he was a kid and he was acting out then. <laughs> then you wouldn't have these troubles now. That's your fault, Ray Mysterio. You need to call Titus. You need to call Titus Worldwide. Set up an appointment with Dana Brooke <laughs> because you need help parenting. You need fatherly tips. And I want to clarify something. In one of the greatest New Day moments of all time, as we talk about fathers of the year, I will never forget the time that Kofi Kingston stole the title from Titus and said he was the real father of the year and skipped his ass down to the ring with the banner saying true father of the year. That is an all time. (laughs) That is an all time New Day moment that still sticks with me to this day. That is that is awesome. It is an all time. It is an all time moment because they had a sign saying that Kofi was the real father of the year, and he skipped to the ring, and he clapped all time. That's another father that Ray needs to talk to. Right. These are true fathers. And then Michael trying to bring up Angie. Angie and Ray did not raise him like this. Well, apparently they fucking did, Michael. Well, apparently they didn't raise him at all. <laughs> so apparently they just didn't raise him at all because he, Rhea Ripley done raised him more in the last two months than Rey Mysterio did in 28 years. So, you know, I, I, who am I to say? 
You know, I, you know, I got, I got two kids, you know, I, I think I do it. I don't think I'll be worried about my 28 year old son smacking me in the back of the head. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I don't think I'll be too concerned with that. Let me just put it that way. And to be fair, even though you are raising a future tribal chief, he's going to kick you off your table. Okay. You're going to still have a seat at the table. Unlike right. Ray, whose son has says, fuck your table, dad. I don't want to be at your table anymore. <laughs> to hell with your table. Angie was busy buying Louis Vuitton to give a shit about Dominic. She spent more time with Aaliyah, her true child. Dominic was an outskirt child. You know what? Angie said, you know what? He ain't mine. That's Eddie and Vicky's kid. We brought him in because you decided to be a dad. Dominic like, yo, hey, look, pops. I would I would say you could come to the table, but but Murphy's sitting at that seat. Ooh. So, you know, I when he get up, I'll let you know though. I got you. I got you, Pops. I swear I got you. Thanksgiving with Aaliyah, Rhea, Dom, uh. Murph at the table, and Ray at the kitty's table. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. See, I didn't say that. I didn't say nothing about that man sitting at the kiddie's table. He could, he can sit by himself on the couch. He can absolutely watch TV and sit by himself, watch a football game by himself. But you put that man at the kitty table. Well, you put him at a table that fits him. Why you do that? You know you're wrong for that. See, I didn't say that last part. <laughs> Shout out to Ray Mysterio. And we love him, but see, Buyaka. but see, you're wrong because you said it fits him. I didn't say that. <laughs> I was trying to be respectful. You just drove the knife in deeper. It's like, well, at least he fits at the table because he's like a listen, kid. Listen, I, you know, when you, uh, you know, when when you let your son just go wild like that, and you know what, I'm I'm just hating. I'm just mad because it ain't me and Dominic's spot. That's all. I'm just mad. So now I'm taking it out on Ray. That's all it is. I'm hating. I'm jealous. And then you done put the idea that Scarlett might join the group, and I'm like, yo, <laughs> Dominic's the man. Everybody can hate on him all they want, but he the man. The people he's pulling in in the last two months. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hey, that mullet's got powers. I tell you, that's why he won't cut it. Bringing all the Stop ladies it. to the yard. I don't blame Dominic. You do what you got to do, homeboy. You go, boy. You do you. But oddly enough, this is not the end of the match. <laughs> it's not the end. This is actually getting pretty damn great. So mm-hmm. at this point, Rhea, Scott's love interest, is going to show up and handcuff Edge to the ropes. And he's trapped. And Michael Wilt Chamberlain Cole is encouraging Edge to quit. Damn it, quit Edge. Give up. Live to fight another day because they're beating him with the kendo stick. It's a three-on-one beat-down assault. It is vicious. It's cold-blooded. And I'm living for it. And this is going to lead to Beth Phoenix coming out to confront Rhea Ripley. My God. We get a fight. I'm living for it because she wipes out Damian Priest and Dominic is her and Rhea. They're trading blows back and forth. They laying in their shit. And then Beth spears Rhea and the fans pop. So Beth being ride or die is going to get that key from Rhea Ripley and free her man. And Ray 
laid out on the ground, don't matter right now, but Edge has got his woman by his side, his ride or die. Edge gets on up, spears Damian Priest, spears Finn three times, crowds going crazy, and then Rhea shows back up and she knocks out Beth with brass knucks. Ray, Ray still laid out, defenseless, edge, worthless, worthless. Sorry, you just terrible. What kind of backup are you? No support system whatsoever. That beat down by Dom laid you out like that, please. But that's besides the point. So Edge is defenseless, jumped by Judgment Day once again. Finn goes up for a couple of coups de gras, but Edge won't quit. Tells Finn, you can go to hell. The fans cheer. So Rhea is going to grab some chairs. And she threatens to hit Beth with a concerto. And she's knocked out. Great sell job by Beth selling being knocked the fuck out by those knucks. Like her homegirl didn't move. A muscle. She was acting. So as Rhea's going to raise the chair to hit the concerto, Edge says, I quit. I quit. I quit. Stop. Now we know that Rhea wasn't going to stop course not she hit Beth with the concerto and I said Rhea you cold-hearted bitch and I love you for it this was art this was cinema Edge rushed to his wife's side because she was knocked out Michael selling this fear on commentary to selling Michael Cole Will Chamberlain numbers fantastic job on commentary throughout all of this and we end the segment with people coming out to help Beth through this situation. I thought this match from the last 15 minutes on was absolutely outstanding. The storytelling was phenomenal. Everybody, even bitch ass Ray doing nothing for his son was good in his role sleeping for the last 10 minutes. Edge was great. He's a fantastic storyteller. Finn was fantastic when he was laughing behind Edge's back knowing I got your ass. You're dead to rights. Rhea Ripley, come on. Always sensational. Beth was fantastic. Dominic played his role well. Everybody was great. And it reminded me of Hell in a Cell a couple of years ago. It was Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell and happened to be an I Quit match as well. And the dramatics of Roman crying on cue to Jimmy saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I feel bad about who I am now. And he suckered his own cousin in. He gaslit Jay and made him quit because he put the fix on Jimmy. And this reminded me of that in a lot of ways, that emotional pull. Because physically, Edge was never going to quit. That was his downfall because they knew, oh, you're not going to fit physically, but emotionally, you're going to quit. And I thought that was outstanding work. There's more story to be told. And sign me up for Beth versus Rhea sometime very soon. Glad Rhea was able to take some bumps last night, take some hits as well. But all of this was just phenomenal. And even though we gave Ray shit in this match, we know that one day very soon he's going to pop Dominic and the fans are going to pop. Overall, this was excellent professional wrestling in terms of storytelling and work rate between Edge and Finn Balor. And I can safely say that Edge and AJ Styles, that was a blip because Ray, not Ray, sorry, Ray. My apologies, sir, because you're still knocked out of sleep. But Edge and Finn... Their chemistry and what they did in this match absolutely delivered in every single way. Yeah, I think everything you laid out was <clears throat> was spot on. And uh, I just want to point out, as soon as 
Beth got hit with the concerto. All of a sudden, Rey Mysterio was fine and ran up in the <laughs> ring. So I think he was hiding. Um, <laughs> that guy. Um, that's why your son not a pillar. I, I'm sorry. Anyway, I, I just can't help. I, you know, I, I, Ray's my guy. I like Ray. No, I, I think everything you laid out was perfect about the match. And it, the last half of the match was really good. And I want to talk about the reaction that Beth Phoenix and Rhea Ripley got when they went face-to-face. And I think Beth Phoenix even felt it more than she was probably expecting because when she started jumping up in the ring and was throwing her hands, like, you see this, you feel this, and she started jumping up, I got up out my seat like, yeah, I feel it. I'm I'm hyped because I was ready for these two Goliaths to go at it. Like, these, these two aren't your normal women. These are women who can toss anybody around, male or female, and we saw them beating down everybody. So this... This is a, a great, it was nice to see Beth get the upper hand on the first time matchup. The spear looked great. I thought she played her role. And then she stepped out. I like that she stepped out of the way. She she just, she did her thing and then she stepped out of the way and was just cheering great facials. Beth Phoenix, man, one thing I don't think she ever got enough credit for is she, her facial expressions mm-hmm. are excellent i mean just spot on great timing with them um when edge was kind of on the run when when she was he was making a comeback and then the judgment day would make a little her face was perfect she was worried she showed concern when he was hitting those spears she was getting fired up like when she gets fired up i get fired up so i the intrigue of that singles match the intrigue of her and damien or her and finn versus um Edge and Beth Phoenix, or Rhea and Finn, or Rhea and Damian versus Edge and Beth Phoenix, those are all really intriguing matchups. The six mans, this looks like it's potentially leading to a Survivor Series match. AJ Styles could be the wild card. Which side is he going to join? I, four tiers for me for this match. Um, first half was a little slow, but that last half of the match was excellent. Outstanding. Dare I say we might get a mixed war games match out of this possibly i would be here for it definitely and i still want beth and Rhea a singles match preferably at the royal rumble that would be me and now for that yes me too and now it is time for our main event featuring matt riddle versus seth rollins in a fight pit match for daniel cormier as the special guest referee in dc homie You had some curious calls in this match that makes Jessica Carr wonder to herself, wow, maybe I didn't fuck up that count after all or that submission attempt on Gunther on SmackDown the previous night. Because you, sir, gave Riddle a hell of a grace period midway through this match. And then then he had the nerve to be all up in everybody's face. Hey, don't fight me. You fight fight him. Don't fight me. He said it to both (laughs) of them. What you fight me for? Don't fight me. Like, nobody's fighting you, dude. No, nobody's fighting you. They might have accidentally bumped you, and you tell me, "All right, dude, we get it. You try. You want. You got to have your pie." But I did appreciate he didn't play a part in the finish, so that was fine. Um, yeah, he's not a very good referee. This was um, so, but again, he he fit because he was in the fight pit. People probably were intrigued to see if he was going to do anything. I'm glad that he didn't really play a part. He was just a name to add to the match. The fight pit I thought looked great. Um, I do want to say great job to Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins because the entire crowd was all chanting, we want Wyatt. Loud, loud at the beginning of the match. 
And you could tell that this was going to be an uphill battle, especially the style of this match, the way this match is out laid out. I'm sure a lot of these people probably haven't even seen the fight pit match that Riddle had with Thatcher or Thatcher had with Champa. So, you know, it's a slower match, but Riddle tried to do some different things to jump off the cage with, with, uh, with the kick. That was a nice little move to start off. I like... I like the way Rollins was trying to throw hands with him to begin. I like the different way they started out throwing hands and kicks, and Riddle was just eating that boy up. Um, Rollins gear doing the RVD. I guess that was a shot at pot smokers. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what the whole deal was with him rocking the RVD gear, with, but that you know that was cool. I think Rollins looks pretty good in the uh, in the double single. I, or I I think he looks pretty good in that. He should we should rock that a little bit more often. Um, but yeah, then, and then they went to the top of the fight pit. They hit some big moves there. When Rollins was r- walking with that dude in the power bomb on top of that, um, on top of the fight pit. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh my gosh. If I mean one one step, but they I mean they they hit pedigrees up there, RKOs, stomps. And then uh, Rollins goes down after an RKO. Riddle hits a big dive from the top. And the finish for me kind of came out of nowhere because I wasn't expecting it. Uh, Riddle gets him in a triangle. Rollins power bombs him off the cage twice, then power bombs him again a third time. Riddle kind of turns it and cranks a little bit and gets a huge victory. And I like how he sold the victory. You know, this whole story has been about. Riddle's not good enough. Riddle's not good enough to be a top guy, to be the top guy, to be the main event guy. He's not good enough. I like the way he sold it. Like, I did it. You know, I I, I can be the top guy. I can beat the best in the world. So the little things, the way, the, the way he sold the match and kind of how it was nice that he, this felt like Matt Hardy beating Edge in the steel cage match during their feud with Lita even though you knew Matt Hardy wasn't going to be the one getting elevated out of this or who was going to come out better, it was a nice win for him to kind of make him look good so he's not losing every match. I fully expect him to have a third match with Rollins' win, but this is a nice win for Riddle to kind of give him that main event win. Riddle's a main event guy. He's closing out pay-per-views. And that was something unheard of a year ago when you really think about it. And he's in that spot now on his own, and he did a couple of RKO's in honor of Randy Orton. And the one that Rollins took on the platform, he had a smooth landing because he had to grab the cage because he wasn't falling that far down there like that. Like, let me grip Mm -hmm. something. Let me slide down gently. And then Riddle does the Broton off the platform to Rollins. That was a sick bump as well. Somebody's ribs were hurting by the time this was over. But the finish was great. Rollins taps out. Riddle stands tall. And we think the show's over. We think, hey, good night, y'all. The signature pops up. We're going home. But oh no, the lights go off. And this is what I like about the end of the show. Because as you mentioned, we got the Wyatt chance. We knew something was coming tonight. And they were waiting patiently for Wyatt to show up. And I appreciate the fact that Riddle and Rollins worked their way, worked their way through that and delivered a really good match and engaged the people in the end. But we know what was coming. And I appreciate the fact that the return of Bray Wyatt did not overshadow this match or he did not come out to target either guy. This was a separate thing on the show, which I appreciate. And the presentation and the return of Bray Wyatt was fantastic. We had the fireflies out there, the cell phones flashing. We had the whole world in his hand singing in the background. We got acknowledgement of the Firefly Funhouse from Huskus the Pig 
to Abigail the Witch, to the Rambling Rabbit, to Mercy the Buzzard, all the characters in human form, human puppet-sized form in the crowd. Then we cut to this back screen, this backstage screen of the old funhouse. Cobwebs collected. It's decrepit. It's old. It's dusty. Hasn't been in use in a year or so. And then we have this door opening to the White Rabbit. And it's Bray Wyatt. And I forget that we had the fiend out there too. We had a fiend in the crowd and there was a fiend mask on the table by Michael and Corey. And Michael said, peace out. I'm done for tonight. Bye y'all. But we get Bray at the end. He has a mask on, takes it off and we see him and his luscious dreadlocks. And he has his lantern. He's here and we fade to black. I thought the presentation, I thought the entire viral campaign of the QR codes and the White Rabbit song playing at various arenas across the country over the last few weeks has been amazing, smart, savvy. And I know some people says, well, this is the old Bray White, same old stuff we've been used to. No, every time Bray reinvests himself, he kills off his previous gimmicks is what he does. The Firefly Funhouse is not coming back. These characters that you see are not coming back. The Fiend is dead. All of this is saying goodbye to who he was and bringing forth someone new and exciting. I know the fear is we be booked like he can't be beaten, as if he's unstoppable, as if he can't be pinned. That was Vince McMahon. I could tell you for a fact that Seth and Bray hated what happened three years ago in Hell in a Cell. That was not their idea of what they wanted to do for their match. Bray Wyatt can work if you let him work. He's very smart and creative when he's allowed to be himself. This is a Vince McMahon free zone of him to do what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So in six months, if he's doing some stuff you don't like, sure. But I don't want people to get caught up in what was three years ago. That's gone now. He's going to kill it. He killed the original Wyatt family. He's done this before. It's a reset. I'm curious to see what this White Rabbit represents. I want to see how far he takes it, what he's going to do, who he's going to feud with, and what he's going to offer as a character this time around. There's a lot of thought behind this, and you can hear about the crowd. They were hyped for it. I'm excited. I think he's a great guy in terms of conceptualizing what he wants as a wrestler, We'll see how it goes in the ring. But I thought this was a great way to end the show to leave the fans wanting more heading into Monday Night Raw in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was uh, really an excellent presentation, as you put it. Um, And people like to talk about what Bray Wyatt isn't, what he can't do, and quote-unquote, he's not that good in the ring, and he's not this, he's not the guy, and he's been pushed and didn't work, and he's, you know, all this stuff that he he can't do. Well, let me tell you one thing that Bray Wyatt does, I would say, better than anybody in wrestling history outside of probably Chris Jericho, and that's reinvent himself and make people care about him whenever he comes back. Every time Bray Wyatt has made this grand return the intrigue has been through the roof the the reaction that the when they showed the fiend mask the reaction that that god was incredible when he came out in just his regular mask just with the lantern the crowd went crazy and when they saw his face they were just i mean you everybody can't build that type of anticipation everybody's not able to revitalize a gimmick yet keep the core elements of who you are 
And that's something that, again, outside of Chris Jericho, I don't know of too many people who've been able to do it at this high of a level and to do it multiple times years later. I mean, to Bray Wyatt and then The Fiend was years later. And now this is years later. I, I just... I was blown away by it. The presentation was incredible. It's all about the follow-up and what comes next. And, you know, the inch that's going to be the big thing is whoever he feuds with next is going to be in a huge spot. So it's I would have to think it's going to be a, a pretty decent name. If they're smart, they're going to put him in there with somebody who can work to get the best type of match out of him. Um, he's a guy that doesn't really need a title, you know, and I think that's, one thing that you can do with him, he can be a spectacle. He can be his own type of main event because people are going to care about whoever he faces. Think about The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Even when he didn't have a title, people cared about him and who he's facing. And anytime The Undertaker was on the card, you can do that with a Bray Wyatt character. And that's what The Fiend should have been. He should have been a guy that he should have essentially been the boogeyman, not the boogeyman from WWE, but you know, the horror character, the boogeyman, he shows up, you, you freaked out and he's gone and you don't know when he's coming back. That's, that's how you utilize Bray Wyatt. So I, I'm very excited. Um, I, I think a lot of people are eating their words as far as the intrigue and people caring about Bray Wyatt, the fireflies and the lights that went up when the lights went out, that should tell you and shows you everything you need to know. The crowd, the reaction, beautiful thing, great way to end the show. Um, the match itself, four tiers for me. Um, good match. I think the ladies should have closed. That's just a personal thing. But I one thing one thing you did touch on that I really liked as well is that this had nothing to do with the main event. They gave Riddle his moment, walked out, the show closed, and then they did this. So another small touch that I like that Triple H did. Yeah, and I think anybody, I think that anybody has any reservations about Bray Wyatt, just remember that he came from NXT and Triple H was behind the original Wyatt family. So I have faith in them working together and collaborating to deliver what they want us to see in their vision. I'm all for that. And numbers do not lie. 923, the people thought he was showing up in Utah. That show did 2.5 million viewers on Fox. So he is a pull, a draw. People cared to see him at 923 at 923 and they got a QR code instead and they was pissed off, but they cared still. They were hyped for the QR codes. They were hyped for the clues. And as you mentioned, Scott, I think only Chris Jericho is the only other guy that could do a viral campaign like this and get over. Remember, save us from 2007, break the code. Who's coming back? Chris Jericho. The best in the world gimmick. All those vignettes and videos heading into that year's WrestleMania against CM Punk. These two guys, in terms of reinvention and using viral campaigns on TV to get themselves back in the spotlight, it's second to none. And that is the bar for me in terms of you come back and you're completely different. And that's Bray White. He will have you at attention no matter what the gimmick is. And I respect him for that. The ring work, we're going to see. But in terms of engaging an entire fan base via a viral campaign with White Rabbits and shit, a win for me. Only Chris Jericho could do that in my eyes. Yeah, and there's a lot of possibilities as far as where he can go with the story. And I know I mean, I just brought up about how I don't think he should be going after the title. And I think this is something you could do down the road when Roman eventually loses the title. But him versus Roman is is still an intriguing option because, and not for the title, but when Roman came back, it was against The Fiend. And now The Fiend has come and gone. 
and Roman's still champion. And, you know, now we have this new Bray Wyatt and Roman and Roman and Bray have always, to me, felt like they should be these like mortal enemies and they're always destined to cross paths. Like even from the very beginnings, they were always like just destined to cross paths. And I feel like, again, after Roman loses the title or hell, I mean, even if you do a title, I mean, it would be a huge match, but I just, I don't think he should be anywhere near a title, but that's a, that's a really big matchup that already has a nice backstory to it. And it's something different, but you know, I just, I love that there are options for, Bray Wyatt going out of this. I just don't think it should involve the title. Agreed. Otherwise, a great way to wrap up a very good premium live event in Philly. So Scott, after evaluating the card, as we always do, after you said this was a great card up and down, we had a couple of flaws here and there after we we worked some things on the show in real time, as we always do here on The Wrap. What is your final salty your salty to score on one to ten tiers? Man, I'm. I still really enjoyed the show, and that middle section tried to bring me down and tried to make me salty. But that last, the last portion of the show was great, and especially with that ending. So I, I'm gonna give it a solid eight tiers. Really enjoyed the show. All right, I can go with that. I'm gonna go with seven point five tiers out of ten. You know that middle that it was kind of rough for me. It was hard for me to get back into the show until Bailey versus Bianca for the Raw Women's Championship. The latter match was everything. And from there, it was smooth sailing, Finn and Edge, Prison Finn. The Finns were out there and there were purple bandanas rocking for their guy who is about that life. And I respect that. Main event was good. Return of Bray was fantastic. Opener, a boy, Sheamus, his crew, Imperium, the Imperium, like the Migos. Got to shout them out too. Otherwise, really strong show. Outside of two matches, I didn't care for. But this goes to show that WWE's done a great job building up these PLEs to mean something, despite them not being a part of the big four or five. And one thing that we should not take for granted, no Roman, no bloodline. And it still felt like a big show. So, And no Lashley. And no IC title defense. Like, there are things that could have made this a bigger show and they've done a good job of making it a big show. So I think that's a a testament to the character work that's been put in to make people care and to the, the match quality that everyone put in that like, I mean, just think of the names that aren't even on the card and they were still able to do this. So yeah, really good job tonight or the other night. Yes. Less is more with more shows to come. We got at least two more on the calendar, crown jewel and survivor series. Really looking forward to Survivor Series in particular with War Games, it can go in, it can go any direction. Bloodline, Judgment Day, Edge, Ray, AJ, who knows? So a lot of options heading towards the end of the year. And on that note, this puts a wrap on this episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network, recapping Extreme Rules 2022. And it felt extreme for the first time in a while. So Scott, thank you for joining me as we recap October's pay-per-view or PLE for WWE. Oh, Keela, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to chop it up and talk all things WWE with you, uh, especially when I get to be uh, perky, Scott. You know, they, again, they tried to make me salty, but I, uh, they, they did a great job of just keeping me happy. And I'm not just perky because of the thoughts of Scarlett joining Judgment Day and teaming up with Rhea Ripley. Or Liv and her bat. Uh, well, again... <laughs> there you go again. What are you doing? You trying? You are you trying to? You trying to bring my rating down? You trying to bring me down to a seven point five two? What are you doing? What are you doing? Can I do it? 
with like a minute to spare is it too late <laughs> is it possible i'm not Liv morgan i can actually hold on wow and not tap out wow <laughs> wow okay live stands we apologize for that low blow that scott just delivered so is that still a 7.5 out of 10 or are you keeping it at eight um I, listen I'm not Liv Morgan. I am I am still at a solid eight. I won't be tapping out. And I'm certainly not smiling as I'm getting my head cut off. <laughs> that is more than fair because she did both of those things for reasons during last night's match. And we'll figure it out hopefully on Friday. If not, I'll be back here reading her for filth on the free feed come Monday morning. I said I said I'd give her five days to get this together. No so we'll see. She's got to help me out here because I'm holding on by a thread. Girl, holding on more than you did during the end of that match. I'm going to leave it at that. But we'll be back next weekend recapping all things WWE, including the season premiere of Monday Night Raw going down live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, with the reunion of DX minus Daddy Ass because he's going to get cheered in that building that night, even though he's not there. Got Rollins versus Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship and so much more, including the bloodline in the house and wondering if and when Sami Zayn's going to break Roman one more time. That's absolutely happening. No question. Roman is so weak for Sammy, and I love it. And we forgot to mention Sammy is now the stepfather of Jey Uso, according to the new, to the new day, which cracked me up on SmackDown. <laughs> Step, Step Daddy Sammy. Step Daddy Sammy. <laughs> That's it. Yes. That is his <laughs> nickname it. for Jay because he is a hothead, according to Roman, as he co signed on Step Daddy Sammy's comments once again. So Step Daddy is in the house. Honorary Us and Stepfather to Jay Uso. Rikishi, watch your ass. And with that, this is a wrap on all things Extreme Rules for myself and for Scott. Enjoy your week. We'll be back next week right here on the Fight Game Media Network. Take care. Bye-bye.